Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse. And as I was going over this again this morning and praying, one of the words that sort of came to me is understanding. I'll explain to you what I mean by that. The Bible says in Proverbs that to get understanding and with understanding, get understanding. One of the, one of the jobs of a teacher, and there are different ministry gifts in the body of Christ, a teacher explains things, breaks them down, so that we can understand them and apply them. A preacher proclaims things and encourages us and fires us up and gets us motivated. But a, but a teacher gives, helps us to leave with understanding so we can apply what we've heard in our lives. And, and they're both necessary as well as the other gifts that Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4 talks about. And so one of the things God's given me, maybe the major gift, is the ability to teach and it's not a mental thing, it's something just the way God's wired me to break things down. I'm sharing that with you because the reason we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today, because I struggle with it because it doesn't really fit in, in my thinking, with where I see God wants us to go. But I, I, couldn't, I didn't get anything else, and this just kept growing in me, so I figured I'm not going to argue with it, let's just do it and step out in faith. And then I began to get the understanding. Because in order to walk in some of the things God's going to call us to walk in or is calling, we need to be able to filter those through understanding certain very basic things. So for some of you that have been around for a while and those first service people, that tends to be you, this is going to be a review of things. But don't just say, well, I've heard that because we need to hear this at another level. Those of you that have never heard us before, it's very important to hear this. Because we tend to think, see, take the Word of God that we read, the Word of God that we hear, the experiences we have with God, and just kind of swallow them up in a whole. But we're going to see that they, they only really work in your life when you understand the slot they fit into. Now, you'll, you'll see what I mean by that in a moment. In a, in a mail room, when mail comes in, they have different slots that go. We have a mail, we have a, a, a mail slot so in, our, in the office over here. So they don't just take all the mail and just throw it in one place. Something that's addressed to me goes in a slot with my name in it and the other pastors and everybody else on staff. So the mail comes in, but, but certain things only work if they go to the right slot to the right person. Well, that's true for the Word of God. That, that, that is, there are three slots that you have, three parts of you. And we're going to spend a little time today and, and next week, and I believe that's it going over. So would you put up 1 Thessalonians 5.23? This is the end of this, letter to the, this first letter to the Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That means set you apart completely. So what he's going to talk about here is what, has, what about you has God wants to set apart completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this is teaching us that you are made up of three different parts. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. Now, there are many teachers out there. There are many denominations and style in, in approaches to the Bible that teaches there's two parts to you. There's, there's body and soul, and there's no distinction between your spirit and your soul. And, and I don't have time to get into now why I don't believe that's true. We'll get into some of it, a little bit of it today. But, but in Hebrews 4.12, it talks about the Word of God is more powerful 
than any two any two edged sword, able to divide between the thought the, 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 the thoughts and intentions of your soul and your spirit. And we're going to see why it's so important. But what we're going to do this morning is introduce you to why this is important to understand your three different parts. Because whatever happens, whatever you're receiving from God is intended to go to deal with or help you with one of those three parts. And if you don't understand the differences, they get crossed over and mixed up and the, the word's not working as effectively as God has intended it to do. There's an expression that's used out there, which is a very good way of understanding it. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and they live in your body. And we'll talk a little bit by the end of this morning about what the differences are. But I want to talk for most of this morning about why this is so important. And there are really three major things we're going to look at. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is some of my favorite parts of the scripture. In chapter 1, Paul is now the church at Corinth. Corinth was in Greece, the southern part of Greece called Achaia in the Bible. And the Greeks were known for their intellect, their education. They were, they were the, 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 um, the, the, the birth of philosophy, the philosophies of the world, the roots of almost all philosophies have their roots in Greek teaching and Greek thinking, like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and others. And, and, and so these are Greeks that have been tr- trained to, to look up to and respect intelligence and education. That's the way I was raised. I was raised in a family where intelligence and your education was where your value came from. I had a stepfather that was a brilliant man. Graduated from Princeton, I think by the time he was 20, 18, 19, 20, very young. Brilliant lawyer. Uh, I don't want to get into the details of it, but regardless of his intellect, he died an alcoholic. Kicked out of his own firm. And at some points was had to be rescued out of literally gutters. With all that intelligence, he couldn't run his life. We witnessed to him, shared the gospel with him, but his mind got in the way because he couldn't understand certain things. So I've had to overcome that kind of background where you sit in a doctor's office and you're trying to decide whether you can trust the doctor. The first place I look is where do you go to school? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Because I'm trained, the better the school, the better the doctor. That's not necessarily true. I went to a good law school, but I know some of those guys that graduated first. (laughs) They were smart, but they didn't know how to live life. So my point is, this is where these Greeks were coming from. Now, among the congregation, there are Jews. The Jews were trained with a very different paradigm, very different worldview. Their worldview was power and demonstration of miracles. That's what proves what God is like. So Paul in chapter 1 is basically saying that the the greatest wisdom of man in God's eyes is foolishness because it doesn't bring you any closer to Him and it doesn't make you any more aware of what true reality is. And then he talks to to the Jews and says, you're not much better because you're putting all your trust in things you can see, your senses you can see. Now listen carefully. I didn't think of this before this. So the, the Greeks, their whole emphasis is on what they could understand and how well they could, could master it with their mind. So their whole confidence was in their 
mind, their soul. The Jews' confidence was in the miracles and the demonstration, the power they could see with their senses. And the Hebrew language is very, very, very earthy, very emotional. It's a very feeling language, whereas Greek is very intellectual. Greek takes one word like love, our word, and has five words that mean different aspects of how you and I would apply love. Because they, their thinking is to take one thing and to break it down into components and to, de- and to analyze it like that. So this was a great challenge in our marriage because I'm married to a woman who doesn't think in straight lines and I think in outlines. I do, I think in outlines. She doesn't. She just thinks. And she's not the only woman like that. And I remember for years trying to convince her to think the way I did. And finally I got so frustrated I went to God about it. And I said, God, she doesn't think the way I think. Would you straighten her out? And he said, I made her that way. That took the wind out of my sails because how do I tell him he's wrong? I don't know why I'm going in this direction. So I began, all right, God, if you made her to think differently than I do, and you're not wrong, maybe there's something I don't see here I need to see. And that's when he began to say, now I can give you understanding of what marriage is all about. That was for somebody this morning. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, is dealing with this saying, they're no better than anybody else, because the Greeks are relying on their mind, their soul, and the Jews are relying on their physical senses, and neither of them reveals what I'm like. So now we go into chapter 2. Brethren, I did not come to you with excellence of speech and of wisdom. That's what the Greeks would have valued. Declaring to you the testimony of God. But I determined to know nothing, I didn't determine to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. But my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Those appeal to the soul. And in the demonstration of the Spirit, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. But However, we do speak a wisdom among those who are mature. Now he's hopefully talking to us. Yet not the wisdom of this age, for the rulers of this age who are coming are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they'd known it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. They could not understand what God was doing. Neither Satan nor the rulers of his age, the Pharisees and the rulers of his age, they couldn't grasp what God was doing by coming, uh, be one of us, and die. Because that looks like failure. The human mind cannot grasp that. I remember as a small child, my grandmother would take me to, uh, to, take to, me to, to, to Good Friday services, which in the church that she belonged to was three hours, and they went through the words of the cross. And, and I'm sitting there thinking... Well, if you really want to prove who you are, why didn't you just come off the cross? But see, that's natural thinking. And that's what the Pharisees did, the ones that were sincere. And and Paul's saying, I didn't come to you with that. Because what God was doing was a mystery. 
Why? Because it could not be understood and processed by normal human thinking because God's ways are outside of that. God's love is outside of that. It cannot be grasped with a human mind. Verse 9. Here we go. This is my favorite. As it is written, now let this soak into you. He's talking about your senses. Eye is not here seen, and ear is not heard. Now, you're, we're, we're gonna, we're, your spirit, soul, and body. So he's addressing your, your body here. Your body has never seen, it cannot see, nor can your ears, your ears of your body hear, nor is it entered into the heart of men, that's our soul, our understanding, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So what God has for us, you're not going to grasp by seeing something. Well, seeing is believing. Well, not really. If I could just see God, miracles, then I would believe. 500 people saw a man raised from the dead and walk around with nail holes in his hands and only a handful showed up on the mountain at the time. Where were the rest of them? Seeing is not believing. It may be believing with your mind, but it's not believing with your heart. The things, so God has prepared things for us that our eyes can, it cannot be grasped or received through our senses. God has prepared things for us which cannot be grasped and understood with our human mind. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us. So they're not hidden in the sense of God doesn't want to show them. They're hidden. We're going to see why. They can, God has revealed them to us. How? Through His Spirit. For the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, searches all the things, yes, the deep things of God. Think about this. When you get up in the morning and you're going to spend your devotional time with the, with the Lord in the Word of God or in prayer, the Holy Spirit is there to search the depths of God's heart. When we come together Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever we come together, or you come together with other Christians just to share the Word, the Holy Spirit is searching the depths of God's heart. All the deep things. Why? Verse 11. For we get a little side thing here. But what, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the... Let's go back to in verse 11. No one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Your mind... Listen carefully. Your senses, physical senses, cannot know God. So when you've been in a worship service and you're feeling goosebumps, that's not God. Now, don't pick stones up to throw them at me yet. What we're going to talk about can produce goosebumps. But goosebumps aren't God. Boy, you're looking at me like I go back to Florida. <laughs> Here's why this... I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's why this is important. Because when we worship, when we do anything 
spiritual, we're being in contact with God. And you cannot contact God with your physical senses. Aside from some supernatural event where an angel appears and you can see that angel with your eyes. But that's supernatural. That's beyond natural. That's not the normal way God operates. I've got to be careful because if I get ahead of myself, we'll miss a step here. Ask, um, no, I'm there. Okay, okay. Our physical senses cannot detect anything about God. And this is where most Christians are. We've got to find out where we are if we're going to grow. If we think we're somewhere we're not. See, God's a God of truth. God is truth. So God only comes to truth. So if I think I'm somewhere I'm not, God's going to come to where I am, not where I think I am. It's okay. We'll get this. This is very teachy. But it's, we're, we're, I'm, the Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what we're going through right now. In fact, some of what I say may challenge what you think, and that's okay. Just let the Spirit of God work it through. Because there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ over, over what, what are spiritual things. And we mistake things of our soul, of our emotions, for things that are of the Spirit. Again, things of the Spirit may produce emotions, but that's not the evidence that something's of the Spirit. I've seen people that, 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 that just is so stirred up in their soul, they think they're operating in their spirit and think they can't control it. I've been in services and when we were in, in Bible school where people would start speaking out by the Spirit and God will do that, but they kept going, going when the pastor told them to be quiet and they kept, well, I can't help it. Yes, you can, because the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And those are emotions. That's our soul. It gets worked up and out of control. Most Christians are governed by their five physical senses. So the Word of God says something, and then our senses tell us something else, and we're governed by what our senses tell us, not by what the Word says. In 1 Corinthians, earlier, Paul talks about them. He says, you're carnal. You're acting like mere men. Now, we, we, hear, we think of carnal as an insult. It just means governed by my flesh. I'm dominated by my flesh. I govern things by my flesh. I determine what's truth and error by how I feel, what things look like to me. So yesterday I got up and Jesus was so real to me and so close to me. And today I get up and I don't feel him at all. So where did he go? That's carnal. He didn't go anywhere. But you, the pizza you had the night before... But the dream you had is affecting your soul and your thinking and because you're determining whether Jesus is in you or not by your emotions, you decide He's not because you don't feel His presence. Say amen or oh me. Amen. <laughs> oh boy, some of you are still working this out. Okay, let's move on. We're living in an age when churches are using all kinds of physical things 
to stir up what they believe are spiritual things. I was in a church service. I know this pastor very well. I've known him for years. Great church. And he decided to go with this movement to appeal to the younger people. And I sat in a worship service, and there was this translucent screen that comes down, and it starts with a laser show. And then smoke begins to build behind that, and the screen comes up, and then the worship team is standing there ready to go as all this smoke rises. I remember Brother Hagen talking about services where the worship team was standing there with no laser and a cloud began to roll in from the back. But it was the glory cloud of God, not something that came from a smoke machine. Now we have fancy lights and we can do nice things like this, but don't ever, these are tools, don't ever let what this does distract you from what's real. This is not real. This is just a tool to help help us. But it's the Spirit of God that's real. The things of God, you, you cannot come through those things. And here's the problem. What happens if we came to church and the power went out? We can't have church because we can't produce smoke. And here's the problem, because what you're ingraining in people as worship, what you're ingraining in people, what's going to happen when the pressure comes? Because it's not real. It's not real. Now, if it's leading people to know the real spirit, that's different. But I'm concerned people get distracted. Verse 9, we're already there. Okay. Um, verse 11. For what knows a man about the things of man, except no one knows things except God. Okay, verse 12. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. There are things that have been freely given to us by God. His love, His joy, His peace, healing. The first, first, first Ephesians, Ephesians 1 begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 32 says, For if He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also together with Him freely give us all things? God's not holding back anything that He has from you. But we don't know that or see that because they're discerned, they're communicated to us spirit to spirit. And if we don't know what our spirit is and we don't know how to be in touch with our spirit, God, it's like trying to listen to an FM station on an AM radio. On our, we have a smart TV. I, I'm, sometimes I think it's smarter than I am because it's hard to figure some things out. And I pushed the wrong button, and what it went to is a, a, a setting for over-the-air channels. And I went through it, and nothing showed up. Why? Because it's not connected to an antenna, it's connected to a cable. The point is, if you don't have your sensors tuned into the right frequency, it's being broadcast, but you're not going to pick it up. So God's communicating with us. God is a God that communicates all the time he's communicating. But his communication goes spirit to spirit. 
And if you don't understand what your spirit is and how to be sensitive to your spirit, you're not going to pick it up. And instead, you're going to pick up emotional things and think those are of the spirit. Now, emotions aren't bad. We'll talk about them, but they have their place. But they're not to govern you as a Christian. This is an amazing verse. There's things God has freely provided for you and me, but they're only received or understood by the Holy Spirit revealing them to our spirit. I've got to move on. Now look at verse 14. Now verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man wisdom, man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. That's what's going on now. Comparing spiritual things to spiritual things. What he's saying there is just what I said. Only a spirit can pick up what the Spirit's saying. Your soul is not going to pick up what the Spirit's saying. Now I'll get into this. Your soul begin to under- receive it, but not pick it up. Okay. Verse 14. This will explain all kinds. But the natural man who does not, receive, does not receive the things of the Spirit for their foolishness to him. Ever try to explain something that you're so excited about inside of you, you've seen in the Word of God, and you try to sit down with some relative or somebody at work and say, Wow, did you know that? And they just kind of look at you. Why? You're trying to broadcast on FM... And they don't have an FM receiver. They're only AM. A natural man, someone that's not born again, that does not have the Spirit of God on the inside of them, cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. They are spi- People that are not born again have a spirit, but it's dead to God. And so these things are foolishness. I remember years ago seeing some well-known teacher in the body of Christ on, I think it was Larry King's show, trying to explain spiritual truths to Larry King. And I'm thinking of this verse. He can't get it. Now the Spirit of God will reveal enough to reveal the gospel to somebody to get saved, but he's not going to reveal the things of God to them because they can't be received by them. This is important when you witness to people. You're talking to their soul, their mind, their will, and their emotions, and you can't get down into their heart by your words, but the Holy Spirit can touch them. So our job is to share it. His job is to penetrate in the hardness of their heart and begin to touch that heart. Is this helping anybody? Or am I the only one that's getting anything out of this? Okay. So a man without the living spirit, a spirit that's alive to God, cannot receive the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. Ezekiel tells us, when you were born again, when you came to Christ, God took an old heart, an old spirit out of you that was stone. That means dead. And put in you a heart of flesh. That just means alive. He put a new spirit in you, your spirit, and then he put his own spirit in you. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit. They're foolishness to him because he can't grasp them. 
nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Why is this so? Why can't they grasp us with brilliant minds like Albert Einstein and all the brilliant minds that are out there today? Why can't they grasp it? John chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus is teaching on worship here to a woman who had come to a well at noontime because she had had five husbands. She's a Samaritan. Samaritans don't have any dealings with the Jews. And she comes out, I don't, be careful, I'll, I can start preaching in this. She comes out to a well expecting nothing to happen. She's an outcast because all the other women come to the well first thing in the morning. She has to come at noon because they won't associate with her. And she's all alone, she's an outcast, and sitting next to this well is a man, a Jew. And he begins to talk to her and enter into this conversation. And as she gets further on to the conversation, she begins to recognize who he is, and she begins to talk about worship. And she says, our people believe that, that on this mountain are do we worship. Your people, the Jews, believe it's in Jerusalem. And Jesus answered and said, there's coming a day and now is when God, God is seeking true worshipers, because true worshipers must worship Him in spirit and truth. Why? Because God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Now, we'll get into next week. There's a spirit realm and there's a natural realm, physical realm. God is a spirit. Therefore, those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You cannot worship God from your soul. You can praise Him. You can thank Him. There's nothing wrong with that. But true worship can only be spirit to spirit. And if you don't understand that, you won't know when you're truly worshiping and when you're just praising. And there's no, we're, we're to praise Him. And I can't get into a teaching on this. I believe the Bible teaches a progression. That we come to God with thanksgiving, and then we go to praise, and then we go to worship. Because thanksgiving focuses on what God's done to me. And this is where so much of our modern, quote-unquote, worship is. It's all what God's done for me. And that's a good start. Praise still talks about what God's done, but now the focus comes to Him and how wonderful He is for doing that for me. But true worship is communing with Him spirit to spirit. And those other steps help us enter into that spirit to spirit communion. Now, if you don't understand that difference, we think we're worshiping when we're praising God. And there's nothing wrong with praising God, but we need to know when we're doing it and when we're not. I've been in worship services out in, in school where we were. And this, you could sense the Spirit of God moving. And there would be a quiet reverence. And people would get uneasy and they'd start clapping. And Brother Hagen would stop it and he says, that's because you're not used to the Spirit. And so we have to do something with our flesh. We can't be still and just let the Spirit of God commune with us. We, our flesh and our mind have to do something because we've not trained them. They're still in charge. And again, I, we don't have time to get into all this. I, the whole purpose of today is to aware, make you aware of why it's important to understand the difference. 
Now, don't walk out of here for convinced. Well, I thought I'd been worshiping God. Okay? That's not my job to judge. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and you've got to let the Spirit of God show you. So I believe there's this place God's calling us as a church to go in worship that we can't go to if we don't know it's there. If you don't know something's there, you won't attain to it. And we'll get comfortable where we are. So it's not like we're wrong. It's not like we're doing something wrong. God's saying, I want you to come to another level. The Bible talks about this coming from one level of glory to another by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Okay. So this is why it's important to know what your spirit is because God is a spirit and the only way we can truly commune, you can talk to Him, but His communion with you is going to be spirit to spirit because He is a spirit. That's the first reason because we cannot know the things of God except through our spirit, not our soul and not our body. The second thing, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Everybody okay? Oh, well, seven of you are. All right. Say, I'm confused. No. You were confused, but I'm trying to put things in the right slot, and that can be uncomfortable. When something you thought belonged in one slot, and you find out it's in the wrong slot, that can be uncomfortable. It can be challenging to our flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, well, I'm in 1 Corinthians, that won't work. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, very famous verses. But I'll go back a verse earlier here, and usually people start in verse 17. But I want to go back to verse 16 because it shows us key here. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard or we know no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according, he's using now as an example of this. What he's trying to teach them is, he's talking to Christians. We're no longer to regard each other according to the flesh, what we see on the outside. When Brian Sumner was here last week, it was just a wonderful time. Just so good. I was explaining before he came, I said, you know, you get prepared. You're going to stand here and you're going to see people of all different color, different ages, because God has brought us together. It's not something we did. This is something the Spirit of God has done. And we can worship together because the same Spirit is in each one of us, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your national background, regardless of whether you're a skateboarder or not. (laughs) I was thinking of that this morning. God has a sense of humor. On the platform last week, we had a skateboarder and an ex-lawyer. Who, who can figure that? I don't understand skateboarding. I won't go there. I just, it's, but I understand people are really into that. But you may not, you may not get lawyering either. Uh, this is not working well today. I better go back to preaching. All right, stick with the word, John. Stick with the word. Oh, okay. So we're to no longer regard each other, evaluate one another, recognize each one another according to what we see on the outside, that house you live in. And he's now going to use an example. He said, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, 
In other words, there was a time when he was physically here in a body, and we could see him. Now, Paul didn't get to, but you could see him. You could look at 13 men standing there, and you could say, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, the rest of them are his team. But we could tell which one was Jesus simply by looking at him. And he said, but you can't do that anymore now. But you still know him, even though you can't know him according to the flesh, you can still know him. In the same way, don't regard yourself according to the flesh anymore. And don't regard one another according to the flesh anymore. And this is what we tend to do. We tend to, we tend to recognize people and therefore identify people based on what we look like on the outside. We're raised that way. This is a man, this is a woman, although people get confused about that nowadays. This is, this is somebody's old, this is somebody new. We, we classify people without even thinking about it, simply based on what we see. How many times have you ever looked at somebody and automatically figured out what they're like until you got to meet them and found that they weren't like that at all? People look like they were, you know, some people, you know, look at, well, don't give her, don't, that's, that's, that's not going to work well today. It's just, the anointing is not in that direction. Okay, now he's setting this up. So what he said is, is we, we cannot regard anybody according to what they physically look like anymore. That includes us. Just as we can't do that with Christ anymore. Look at verse 17. Therefore, the word therefore means what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. Because of that principle, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. So what Paul is saying, and old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Paul is saying when you look at a Christian, when you look at a brother or sister in Christ, you're not looking at a person the way you see the outside. When you look in a mirror, you're, no, you're looking at a physical image, but the person on the inside of you is not that person you see on the outside. And when it says a new creation, that word literally means something that never existed before. Some translations say a new species of being. Why? I can't get into this this morning in detail. Because your old spirit died, new spirit's born, but it's born of God. You are, your spirit is one with Christ. So don't evaluate yourself. Don't look at yourself and say, Boy, what an ugly person. On the inside, you're as beautiful as Christ. Because you are Him on the inside, and He is you, because your spirit, man, is one with Him. And this has got to become real to you. All things have passed away. Now, what we're going to learn next week is, there's some things that, that well, I'm going to, let me get ahead, don't get ahead of myself. So in Christ, we're new creations. All things have passed away. So the question comes up, all right, if I am in Christ, if I'm a new person, because I'm in Christ, how come I still feel the way I used to feel? How come I still have memories from my past that seem to be affecting me if I'm a new creature in Christ? Glad you asked that question. Very astute of you. Let's move this on. Look at verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Very famous verse. He 
made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, this is the most amazing statement in the Bible, that we might become, we might be made now, the righteousness of God. I want that to sink in. Because I think we have the image that when I was born again, God forgave my sins and cleaned me up. No, He didn't. He forgave your sins, but He didn't clean you up. The person that you were, that spirit, died. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 6 talks about if, we were, if we're in Christ, then we died with Him. You weren't cleaned up. That old person was killed. And a new birth was birthed in you. Now listen carefully. This, that is just as righteous as God. I can feel it bouncing off your minds. I can feel it bouncing off your minds. This is why the Bible says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because until our minds are renewed to the Word of God, this truth bounces off of it. Because we think, I know myself too well. I know I'm not righteous. I know on my way in here, my way getting ready to come in here, I did not exactly, I'm not talking about me, or you. I did not exactly act or think righteous. You may have had an intense discussion with your spouse sometime this morning. And you say, how can I be righteous? Because the part of you that was made righteous was your spirit man. The part of you that still needs to be changed is your soul. This is one of the reasons it's so critical to understand that there's a difference between your soul and your spirit. Because if your spirit and your soul are the same, then how do I reconcile this verse with the way I sometimes act? I'm not looking at her. (laughs) How do I reconcile the way I sometimes feel? How do I reconcile the way sometimes I act or do? If I'm the righteousness of God, Christ never did those things. How come I slip and fall from time to time? How come I do things that I shouldn't do or think things I shouldn't think if I'm the righteousness of God? Because that's not the part of me that's slipping and falling. But you've got to understand this because it's, it's, it's. God gave me years ago a great example of this. I used to be concerned, well, well, if people really believe the righteousness of God, then they're going to just go on sinning. And back in those days, this dates me, I had a pair of white, white jeans. Anybody remember the white jeans? Okay, a few of you will do. Okay, all right. I had white jeans and twin boys about three or four years old. They don't go well together. Because my wife would wash them, I'd get them on, and just feel so good about myself with these white cream jeans that when the kids would get around them or a dog would get around them, I would say, love you, love you, but I'm conscious, I'm trying to keep these white jeans clean because I'm aware of how clean they are. But the first time I sit in something or one of the kids puts his dirty hands on my leg, now it's like, okay, they're dirty, so I just... 
And that's what it's like with you. When you really, it really dawns on you that you are the righteousness of God. Now the key is in Him. It's His righteousness that you have, and you have it because you're in Him. He didn't take His righteousness and give it to you. He took you and made you part of Him who is righteous. That's another series to focus on. But I want you to see this morning, the righteousness that you've been made in your spirit is His own righteousness. When that becomes real to you, it changes how you act. You'll never be perfect, but you want to keep it clean. You want to act in accordance with your, how you, who you are. But you can't, if you don't understand that the righteousness that you've been made is in your spirit man. In your spirit man, you'll struggle with it because you know you do not always think and act righteous. If we believe we're just a body and soul, we can't reconcile these two things. The third reason. The first reason is if we don't understand the difference between our spirit and our soul and our body, we cannot really receive the things of God because they're received in our spirit. Secondly, we cannot really understand and receive what Christ has done for us because they're in our spirit. And the third thing is to realize that God is at work in us to change us into the image of Christ. And each part of us, spirit, soul, and body, has a role to play. See, just because God did this in your spirit doesn't mean it's over. And you should have realized that by now. But God has assigned a responsibility. God's part is He changed your nature. Our responsibility is to deal with the other two parts of us, our soul and our spirit. But if you don't understand the difference, you won't understand what you have to do and with what parts you have to do it. So in in just a couple of minutes here, I want to introduce these parts to you. We'll begin to get into this uh, next week. Again, you are a spirit. That's who you are. That's your nature. You have a soul. We'll talk about that. And they live in your body. Your spirit is out of the spirit realm. It's the real you. It's your nature. It's the essence of of who you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Put that up there quick. It's one of the new ones I gave you. And it's you and you were dead in your sins. Well, I'll read it to you. We'll do this the old-fashioned way. Whoops, Philippians. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's talking to us. In which we once walked according to the course of the... Now he's talking about who we used to be. We once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit, Satan's spirit, that now works in the sons of disobedience. So Satan is working in the spirits of those who have not come to Christ. And that's where we were among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind. Those are the other two parts, your body and your soul. And were, I want you to see this, by nature, children of wrath. When you were born again, God changed your nature. 
Your spirit is your nature. And your nature produces its fruit. But you, so you were by, before you came to Christ, you were by nature. Now let's look at who you are. Second Peter chapter 1. See if they can get that up there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, so He's given this to us. This was deposited in your spirit when you were born again. All things that pertain to life and God through the knowledge of Him. So the way this comes out is by renewing our mind. The knowledge of Him who called us by glory and, his, by glory and virtue. Verse 4. By which He has given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these we may become partakers of the divine or God's nature. So Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 2 says that before you came to Christ, your nature was of Satan. He worked through your nature. So no matter how hard you tried to live right, it was a struggle because you were fighting against your nature. So what God changed was your nature, and your nature is your spirit. Sometimes the Bible calls it your heart. And now when you came to Christ, God took His nature, His spirit, and birthed it in you. That's why it's a new birth. A new life was birthed in you, and John 1 says that life was of God or out of God, which is why you now have God's DNA in you. People are out there getting their DNA checked to find out who they are. You're talking about your house. The body you live in. The body you live in is your physical house in this earth. So it's like going back and finding out where your physical house came from. But you're the one that lives in it. Here's your DNA. Your DNA is you have God's nature in you. So the whole point of this is your spirit is your nature, your essence of who you are. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And we'll talk more about how they work together. It's basically your personality. When you get to know somebody, primarily you're getting to know their soul, their mind, their will, and their personality. And here's where we get confused because we often think what's coming out of my emotions and my mind is really God and it's your soul I don't want to get there. I'll get off track. Okay. That's your soul. And of course, your body is the obvious part. It's the part you're more conscious of than anything else. It's the part of you that's talking to you right now, saying, will he end please soon so I can go get something to eat because we're hungry. <laughs> it's talking to you right now. But your body is your house. It's what you live in. Some people call it your earth suit. You have to have a body in order for your soul and your spirit to function in this realm. Remember when Jesus was going to cast those thousand demons out of that man? What did the demons plead to do? 
don't send us back into the abyss. We don't want to go there. Send us into those pigs that are over there. They had to be inhabit some kind of body in order to function in this world. Why did God have to take on a body in order to carry out His will? Why does God today still have to work through His body to carry out His will? Because a body is needed in order to function in this realm. But your body is the only part of you that's from this realm. So the whole purpose of the day is to introduce us to the spirit, the soul, and the body. And why it's important to learn what the differences are. Because they're like different mail slots. That God puts different things into them. And you've got to get them in the right mail slot. They work together. We're going to see in the weeks ahead, they work together. And, and if we don't understand their roles, we will get them confused and they won't function as well as when we have them working in the right roles. So there's things we're trying to get God to do that God intended for us to do, and there are things we're trying to do that God only intended for Him to do, that God's already done for you. But you have to understand these three different parts. So I trust none of you have backslidden, none of you are confused at this point. And we'll begin to know, next week, we'll begin to learn more about these parts and what God intended. We're going to see that God set them up in the garden just the way He wanted to. And when Satan came to steal, what He did is He got them out of order. And they've been out of order ever since until you come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, there's been a lot that we've been given to absorb this morning and we just trust the Holy Spirit. Not so much that we leave here knowing a lot more but at least we begin to have an awareness that maybe there are things we need to understand we haven't understood before. Or maybe these are things we've already understood we've just forgotten about and we need to come back to them. For whatever reason you've chosen to do this this morning, we trust you that you who have begun a good work in us this morning will complete it unto the day of Christ. Father, I entrust these words to you the words of my heart and the meditation, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that we will be received with the heart and spirit in which you want, wanted them given. And for that we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're about, this is right now the most important part of this service. I know almost all of you, but I don't know everybody, and I don't know where everybody is spiritually. Up until this point, we've been, we've been growing, learning, We've been worshiping, we've been praising God, we've been doing all kinds of things. But right now, eternity for someone may well hang in the balance. The most important thing to God is people. The only thing that matters to Him. And what matters to Him most is whether they belong to Him or not. Whether you're going to spend eternity with Him or not. The Bible teaches us that there really is a heaven. It's where God lives, where His angels live, and it's where God intended for us to dwell with Him forever. But the Bible also teaches that there is a hell. Hell was not created for man, it was created for Satan and the demons, the one-third of the demons that revolted against God. But unless we receive Christ, unless we get reconciled to God, that's our destination. Verses we did not read this morning between 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21. 
is that God has, was at work in Christ reconciling the world to himself, restoring back into a relationship the world to himself. He sent Jesus to die to pay for all sin. Your sin has been paid for. God sent his son to pay for your sin. What sends people to hell is not what they did wrong. It's rejecting the gift of God's Son to pay for your sins.